Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Are you in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verse number, really one down through verse number 3, and we're talking about the Beatitudes. And the title of this message is simply just that, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, we've been talking about these Beatitudes. We've been asking what does it really mean, and we'll get to the results of the survey in just a moment. But let's look at the scripture in Matthew 5, in verse number 1, it says, When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them, saying, The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Well, we're just going to lean into that beatitude this morning. And we're going to try to unpack it a little bit and get a little bit better understanding of what that really means. So let's pray together. Father, Lord, we stand in total dependence upon you this hour. And God, I pray that you would speak through me the words that you would have spoken today. And Lord, I have studied, I have prepared, I have, I have, I have far more material than what I can deliver in this time frame. And I just pray, God, you would help me to be selective in what I'm able to share today. and Help me, God, to be able to emphasize exactly the points of the message that you won't emphasize today. And Father, I pray that you would help me in handling the Word of God. Because, Lord, I realize that one day I, I have to stand before you personally. And I will give an account on how I unpacked, how I interpreted, how I taught, how I preached, how I dealt with the Word of God a tremendous responsibility, and, and Father, I stand before you even now in fear and trembling. But God, I pray that you would speak through me this morning. And Father, you would speak to our hearts. And Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would do His work of illumination. And God, that you would illuminate our minds, that you would illuminate our eyes, remove the scales, open our eyes, help us to see what it is you would have us to understand and see from this small portion of Scripture today. Father, we need you. We ask you, Lord, to speak to us, mold us and make us into the person you would have us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Beatitudes. We uh, last week introduced this topic, and we talked about reprioritizing our life. And really, whenever you get into the Beatitudes and these eight statements that Jesus made as an introduction to the great Sermon on the Mount that he preached for the next few chapters there, these eight statements have the power to absolutely change our lives if we apply them to our life and if they're not just words being spoken and said and we move past them into something else. We, we've got to slow down and see what it is that Jesus is saying. Now, as a way of introduction to the Beatitudes, 
just let me put this reference out there. Let me say this. The Beatitudes are more about our attitudes, okay? The Beatitudes really are more about our attitudes. If you will, there's four different attitudes that are unpacked here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 and following. First of all, number one attitude, and this isn't my message, this is just my way of introduction, talking a little bit about our attitudes. But the first attitude is the attitude about ourselves. And it says in verse number 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's the attitude of ourselves. We see in verses 4 through 6, and we're going to get into this in the weeks to come, there's the attitude toward our sins and the mourning, the grieving, the repenting of our sins that need to take place. And so there's that attitude. The third and the fourth attitude that we see in verses 7 through 9, we see the attitude towards the Lord, the attitude that we have towards Jesus Christ himself. And then in verses 11 down through verse number 16, we see the attitude towards the world. How do we look at the world. Now, I promise you guys, if we can really dig into the Beatitudes, it will turn our world upside down. I mean, it will completely reprioritize how we think, how we act, how we live, what our attitudes are. It will trans, it has the power to transform our lives completely. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke this, I believe, directly to his disciples before he raised his head and really started preaching the great message of um, the Sermon on the Mount to the, to the multitudes. So these eight statements, really there's two very important functions, if you will, of the Beatitudes. Function number one is they describe the inner qualities of a child of God. They really describe the inner qualities of a true disciple, a true Christ follower. I mean, if you watch a child of God long enough, you should be able to see these eight principles exhibited or on display in the life of a Christian or a believer. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you as I've been studying these, I have fallen short on some of these, right? And I guess we all really do. And I'm amazed how convicting the Word of God is whenever you really get in there and start trying to apply it to our lives. But they really reflect the inner qualities of a child of God. So the question is, what is a Christian? Or what does a Christian look like? Well, most of the times we give the generic answer. Oh, a Christian is one who believes in Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. A Christian is one who has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's very true, okay? That's not a false statement. That is a very true statement. But I believe we ought to be able to say a Christian is one who not only has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's also one that lives out these eight principles that we find listed in in the Beatitudes. I believe a Christian should be one that's poor in spirit, one that mourns over his sins, one who is meek, one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness, one who is merciful, one who is pure in heart, one who is a peacemaker, and even one who is persecuted for the sake of righteousness. As a matter of fact, when a true believer, a child of God, is living out the Beatitudes, you should be able to spot that individual in a crowd, right? I mean, they should stand out, and they should be the salt and the light of the earth. So these eight qualities are going to be on display. They really describe the inner qualities of a believer. But the second function, if you will, about the Beatitudes is that they challenge us to inquire about the state of our soul. They really do. They challenge us 
to inquire about the state of our soul. How are things between you and the Lord? How are you living out your Christian life? How is your walk with the Lord? And boy, when you really get in here and start studying out these eight principles, it really is a challenge that really helps us determine what the state of our soul is really all about. Let me ask you the question. Are you happy this morning? Now, most folks obviously at first say, yeah, yeah, I'm happy. Are, Are you happy this morning? Well, listen, I think you can live life without worrying about being happy and live life more about being blessed. So the question needs to be, are you blessed, right? Because happiness often is determined by our circumstances, right? By what's going on around us. We're up and down. We're in and out. We're on top of the mountain. We're down in the valley. We're excited about this. We're discouraged about that. You know, we, we all have something. Guys, you realize every single one of us, to a degree, wear a mask. We all do. I mean, if we would really r- remove the mask and drill into the heart of every single one of us, we're probably all carrying a very heavy burden of some type, right? I mean, we all have something that we probably all could just break and have a good cry over. And I realize grown men don't cry. That's the cliche from men today. But really, they do. Hello? I mean, we're all hurting over something if we really expose ourselves. So really, happiness is kind of a fleeting thing. I mean, it's here today and it's gone in five minutes. I started to say tomorrow, but it's shorter than that. Right? Right? Now, I was happy we ran the 5K yesterday. I was happy when I crossed the finish line. But my happiness quickly left when my legs started getting really, really sore. Are you with me? So happiness kind of comes and goes. Are you with me? But to be blessed, to be a child of God who is blessed, and I believe the root idea of blessed is to be approved by God. To be able to live our lives, to be able to walk walk in our Christian life in a way that God says, bless you. I approve of your life, right? Now that takes constant evaluation. Listen, guys, listen to me. You can't go by one day and check the block and say, okay, I'm blessed. I live out the Beatitudes. I mean, it's something you got to do a gut check every single day of your life. Right? You must do an evaluation all the time. And God believe we ought to live to be blessed. You guys have heard of the great preacher and great author Max Lucado. And he wrote a book called The Applause of Heaven. How many has ever read that book? It's a great little book. I encourage you to read it if you haven't. But it's called The Applause of Heaven by Max Lucado. And simply in that book, he's talking about how God is our cheerleader and he is applauding our life. And listen to this idea of the Beatitudes written by Max Licato in the applause of heaven. He said, God applauds the poor in spirit. He cheers the mourners. He favors the meek. He smiles upon the hungry. He honors the merciful. He welcomes the pure in heart. He claps for the peacemaker. He rises to greet the persecuted. Man, I like that. I don't know about you, but I I want to live my life in a way that I can receive the applause of heaven, the applause of God in my life. Don't you? We all should want God's approval, right? Let me ask you, do we really want God's approval? Well, how much do you really want it? How bad do you really want God's approval in your life? 
Do you want it more than your family and friends' approval? Do you want it more than people that you work with, more than their approval? Do you want God's approval more than your colleagues' approval? Do you want God's approval more than your closest loved one's approval? Well, here's the good news. If we really want God's approval, we all can have it. Every single one of us can have it. Well, how are we going to get the applause from heaven? How are we going to get the approval from God? Yes, First and foremost, it does begin with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, which I believe that's why the very first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm going to unpack that in just a moment. But then it also includes living out the rest of the beatitudes. You see, these beatitudes, they show us what a disciple looks like. And then they tell us how a a disciple should behave in order to get and receive the applause from heaven. So in Matthew 5, verses 1 through 3, Jesus pulls his disciples together and he says in verse number 3, the poor in spirit are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, we understand what those words are. So whenever we start thinking about what does it mean to be poor in spirit, we understand what it means to be poor, right? We understand that word. And we understand the word spirit. We understand that word. But the question is, what does it mean to be poor in spirit? And I guess the best way to answer that question initially here on the front side is to reflect on what it does not mean. What simply does not mean, it's not a reference to actual poverty, okay? To be poor in spirit is not a reference to actual poverty or being homeless or being financially bankrupt. It's not really a reference to actual poverty because Jesus didn't say, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who are financially bankrupt, although I believe there's some attributes that a child of God can learn from from those who are financially bankrupt. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But he didn't say blessed are the poor. Also, I believe that poor in spirit or being poor in spirit does not refer to shyness, does not refer to a sense of false humility, does not have reference to an inferiority complex. Okay? So what does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, first of all, I'm going to get to the survey in just a moment here. Whenever you study out the Greek words for the word poor, translated poor in the, in the English Bible, you'll find that there's really two Greek words that are translated poor. Now, one of the Greek words that's translated poor simply gives, gives us the idea of just enough to get by. Okay? But there's another Greek word translated poor that simply means nothing at all. I mean, it's the difference of having a dollar or two, or being flat broke. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? You ever been in a situation? You ever been flat broke? Have you ever been out somewhere, man, you're just flat broke, and you're really dependent on someone else? That's the idea here. The Greek word that's used here describes a person who is utterly helpless and completely dependent on others. So the poor in spirit means to recognize your true condition before God to realize that every single one of us are spiritually bankrupt. 
Okay? Now, real quickly, let's go to our result of the survey. We'll see how many were able to log in. We still may be having a problem with that. But we should be able, well, we had, uh, well, praise the Lord, we had 23 people log in, and 23 got the answer right. Uh, Okay, to to live in poverty, no, that's not what it means to be poor in spirit. To be proud that I'm humble, no, that's not what it means to be poor in spirit. Uh, To love Jesus, I put that one as a trick question, you know, because always Jesus is always the right answer, right? So I kind of put that one as a trick trick question. You know, to love Jesus, well, yeah, who's not going to check that one? So you you two that checked that one, I'm going to say, you know, you're right also. Because if you love Jesus all your heart, you're going to understand what it means. But really it means to be spiritually bankrupt. That's what it means to be poor. I'm proud of you guys. 24 of you guys. Oh, one just changed their answer from, from poor to proud to them. Guys, guys, do you realize, listen... If you are proud of the fact that you are humble, you're no longer humble. Do you realize that's kind of an oxymoron type of a statement there? But I did it just to have a little bit of fun. It simply means to be spiritually bankrupt before God. On our mission trip to Juliet that we just had a few weeks ago, I saw some things in those individuals that were homeless. And those people that were financially bankrupt. I saw some things up in Juliet while we spent really just one evening and half of the next day with some homeless folks up there. And as I was watching them, as we were talking with them, as we were interacting with them, there were some things I picked up from their life that I thought, boy, a Christian sure could learn some things from their life to apply spiritually to our lives. You know, financially, physically, they were without anything. Now, I'll be honest with you. I can't say I understand how it is to live like that. I have never spent enough a, a night without a roof over my head unless I chose to sleep out under the stars by my own choosing, Right? I have never gone a day without a meal unless I have chosen to fast, but not because I had to go without a meal. I have never gone into the cold without a jacket or a pair of gloves or what I call from the south a toboggan on my head to keep my head covered. I've never had to go without those things. But we spent two days or one evening, afternoon, and half of another day with people that live their life every day with absolutely nothing in total dependence upon someone else to care for them. And as I watched that, I'll probably be honest with you, God started speaking to my heart. And He started moving in my life. And I started thinking, how would it be if we lived like that? Not necessarily you know, in reality of selling everything and having nothing, but spiritually. And I, I wrote down some things, and I'm going to have them on the screen for you, some things, and, and I think it goes right along with this being spiritually bankrupt because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you that are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are you who are utterly helpless. Blessed are you who are completely dependent. Now, most of us around here 
are proud of the fact that we don't have to depend on anybody. But I don't know about you, as I've been unpacking that, I don't know that that's necessarily a good thing to be proud of. Are you with me this morning? Amen. When you go back and you study the early church, you'll see that even as believers in Christ, they were dependent on each other. We've got to the place in our faith today in the 21st century that we could live our whole Christian life and never be dependent on anybody. Matter of fact, we can flip our nose up at the church. We can flip our nose up to people in the church. Oh, we can sit in here and sing, oh, I love Jesus, but we can live our life in a way that we're totally independent. We can walk out the door and say, you know what? Take it or leave it. I don't really need anybody in that church. And unfortunately, people live like that. Are you with me this morning? I'm talking about what Jesus is saying about blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that are utterly helpless spiritually. Those that are spiritually bankrupt. Those that are completely dependent. Well, I wrote down about 8 or 9 or 10 or 12. I actually wrote down a whole lot more than what I'm going to share with you. Some things that I saw in their life in just working with the homeless for one evening and part of another day that spoke to me. And through conversations that my wife had with others that were homeless, and as she shared with me those conversations, then I went back and I wrote some things down about that. And I think it applies here to being poor in spirit. Now I'm going to share with you, I guess, some advantages of being poor, if you want to use that. Because I think there are some things that we've kind of gotten away from in our middle class American society that we live in today. We pull in our driveway, we push the garage door open, it goes up, we pull in, we shut it, we have no interaction with anyone else. We come to church, we kind of do our thing, we go home, no interaction really, no dependency upon anyone else. I think this could really speak to our hearts whenever we think living in a way that we are poor in Spirit. So on our mission trip to Juliet, I recognize some advantages of being poor, which I believe we all can and need to apply spiritually in our life. Will you allow me to share some of these with you? Number one is the poor. Whenever I make reference to the poor, I'm really just talking about the folks that I interacted with that are completely homeless. Okay? That's the reference there. The poor know that they are in urgent need of redemption. And simply what I mean by that, I'm not necessarily even talking about spiritual redemption here, okay? I'm just talking about they are in need. They can't get out of their own predicament without help from someone else. They just can't do it. For whatever reason they're there, the only way they're really going to get out of it is to be redeemed. It's for someone to physically, literally get down in the trenches with them and bring them out of that. They simply do not have the resources to redeem themselves. And get this, they aren't too proud to accept redemption or rescue. Let's apply that to our life spiritually. Think about this. Are we even in urgent need that we need to be redeemed? I mean, we kind of go through our life and well, I've got a good job, I've got a home, I really don't need anybody, I don't need the church, I don't need it. I'm doing okay. Do I really need to be redeemed? No. Look at me. You know what that's called? That's called the proud. 
Right? <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor know that they are in urgent need of redemption. I could expound on all these, but I got to move, keep moving. Number two, the poor know not only their dependence upon God and resourceful people, but also their interdependence with one another. I'm reminded my wife went aside with one homeless lady and spoke with her for a very lengthy time. And after she came back, I said, what was the conversation all about? And she went into a lot of different things. But one of the things that she got to talk about, well, this lady lived in a tent. And, and my wife asked her, well, aren't you afraid to just kind of live out in a tent? And she said, well, I have my dog. And, and you'll, notice that, you'll notice that a lot of the, the homeless have some dogs. And she asked, why, why do you have dogs? And she said, well, the dog really is not a liability. It's an asset to me because it helps warn me when other people walk up. And then she went on talking to the lady and, and told the lady, and the lady told her, said, well, we look after one another. Talking about the homeless. The homeless people that live in that area together, they watch after one another. Now, that's something that I saw when we, were, we had all those coats lined up, we had all those shoes lined up, we had all those hats and everything that you gave, we took it up there and we put it out on tables and they came through. But what I noticed, with the exception of one or two, the group as a whole, you would think they would just flog on that and, and it would be total chaos. And, but no, they were looking after each other. I mean, I saw homeless men helping homeless women find a coat that would fit them. I watched homeless men that really said, you know what, I don't need it as much as so-and-so needs it, but so-and-so needs it. And they were, they were packing each other's bags and they were carrying each other's bags. And some of these homeless men that had nothing, guys, listen, they had nothing. But what I saw them doing was helping each other and vice versa. Guys, you know something I think we're losing in this world of sit behind my computer and do all my communication through Facebook? Let me tell you, I think something we're losing is that interdependence with one another. I mean, people don't even know how to carry on a conversation anymore face-to-face. I mean, listen, I do technology and I like all that stuff, but there's sometimes I'd love to just swing this stuff. Right? I mean, really, what, whatever happened to just talking to your neighbor? Whatever happened to being involved in each other's life where you're concerned about who sits three chairs down from you or sits two rows back and, and you have interaction one with another? Whatever happened to us in the church where we are dependent upon each other? But it's almost like we're proud. I don't really need anybody in this church. And I've seen that spirit from time to time. And, and God help us. Hello? Are you with me, guys? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Listen, they, they see their dependence upon God and resourceful people, they, but also they are dependent upon each other. The third thing, the poor rest their security on people and not things. I mean, their security is rest upon people. Yes, they dream one day of ownership, but they really genuinely care for one another. Financially, bankrupt. Nothing. No shelter outside of what someone allows them to sleep in and have. But yet, 
They rest their security on people and not things. What's our security rooted in and based in? You know, where do you place your security? Something to think about. The fourth thing, the poor have no exaggerated sense of their own importance and exaggerated need of prophecy. Now think about this. Everything there... Listen, guys, do you realize that, that prophecy is an expensive luxury that we all have? Whenever you really drill down and start thinking about that? But their lives are completely exposed. I mean, they really have nothing to hide. Their life is an open book. I mean, I, I got in some conversations with several of them, and man, they just, boom, shared with me everything about their life. But almost we kind of live our life in this private little world. We don't want anybody in. We don't want to let any walls down. And we kinda, it's kind of safe back here. And we just kind of hide and hibernate. Well, I think there's something we can learn about how they don't see themselves to be overly important or this need of privacy. Number five, the poor expect, get this, little from competition and much from cooperation. Listen, they realize what it is that survival really for them is to learn how to cooperate one with another. And boy, that's something we all can learn, right? Amen. The poor distinguished between necessities and luxuries. They can distinguish between necessities and luxuries. I've heard it said, and I wrote this in my notes, you can't dine on croissants and jams when you can't afford bread and butter. Right? They know the difference between necessities and luxuries. Get this one, number seven. The poor have learned to wait. We live in a I gotta have it now world. We don't, we don't wait on people. We don't wait on finances. We certainly oftentimes don't wait on God. We're going to do it now, do it my way, and we'll go get it all on credit if we have to, but we're going to get it now. It amazes me, and I think we got into this discussion the other day, and I know the group just came through uh, Financial Peace uh, with, with Dave Ramsey, and I think this is original with, with Dave Ramsey, but the, it's still true for all of us. Aren't, aren't you amazed today how young married couples get together and, and uh, they start off building their home and their family together, and, and, and immediately they want to have everything that's taken mom and dad 20, 30, 40 years to obtain and get. They want to have it right now. You know, we got to learn. I think all of us need to learn to wait and apply this spiritually. We need, all need to learn how to wait on God, right? Well, there's some things we can learn from that. Number eight, the fears, of the, the fears of, the, of the poor are more realistic and less exaggerated because they already know they can survive great suffering and want. So you think about what are your fears? Our fears a lot of times may be losing our house or not having a place to stay or not having food to eat or our cabinets not being completely full. Listen, they live that every day. And they realize, they've come to realization, hey, I don't necessarily need a house. Right? So their fears are legit. The fears of the poor are more realistic and less exaggerated than sometimes what our fears can be. They don't indulge in imagined suffering. Let that sink in a little bit. Number nine, the poor can respond to the call of the gospel 
with a certain abandonment and uncomplicated totality because they have so little to lose, nothing to give, ready for anything. But in our middle-class America, we'll ponder it. Do I really want to give my life to Christ? Let me weigh the pros and the cons. What will it cost me? What will I have to give up? How will it change my life? And it goes on and on and on, right? Man, they're just ready for someone to rescue them. So let me ask you, are we poor in spirit? And here's a quote I want you to get. Here's a principle I want you to understand. To be poor in spirit just simply means that you and I are nothing without God. Okay? Everybody say that right now. We are nothing without God. Poke your neighbor on the shoulder, wake him up right now. He may be falling asleep. And tell him and her that they are nothing. Go ahead. Tell your neighbor. Go ahead. You're nothing without God. Every single one of us. We are nothing without God. And that's, the Bible says, blessed. I mean, blessed are you. The applause you get from heaven. You are blessed when all of us realize that we are nothing without God. That we are spiritually bankrupt, that we are utterly helpless, that there's nothing we can do without God. And sooner we learn this principle, I think the more blessed of a life that we will be able to live and the happier ultimately we're going to be. Now, let me give you the illustration for this real quickly. I've already read the reference in the scripture reading earlier today, but I want us to look real quickly to the two men in the temple. And the scripture is found in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 and 14, okay? These two men, Jesus gives this parable about these two men, a Pharisee and, and then a tax collector, how they go into the temple to pray, okay? So we have two men that go into the temple to pray. The question I want to ask you is whose prayer did God hear, Okay? Now, obviously, he heard them both. What I'm really asking is, whose prayer did he receive and answer and bless? Which one received the blessing or the applause from God? Okay? So you have the Pharisee. He walks in. The Pharisee takes his stand. He says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not greedy and unrighteous and adulterers or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything that I get. And the Bible says the tax collector walked in, would not even lift up his eyes, smote himself on the breast, and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Which prayer do you think God heard? You think he heard the prayer of the religious Pharisee? I I say no. Let me tell you why I say no. Because he wasn't even praying. You know what he was doing? He was giving his resume. Hello? He wasn't praying and asking anything from God. He was gloating. He was proud of the fact. He was giving his rest. God, look at all these things I have done for you. Listen, God don't care about all that stuff. I know that wasn't good English right there. But he don't care about that stuff. Right? We need to get past the place where we quit trying to perform or live good enough or be good enough to receive. Listen, you can't live good enough or be good enough to receive God's applause. You must stand before him like this tax collector, completely broken, and say, God, nothing do I have in my hand. There's nothing I have to give but myself. Please forgive me. That is being poor in spirit. Jesus heard the prayer from this tax collector because he prayed from a broken, bankrupt heart. He said, God, forgive me. Jesus gave the moral of the story in the last verse there. 
And he says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, you look at this Pharisee and you look at this tax collector and you'll see that one man was rich with pride. The other was poor in spirit. One man thought of himself very highly. The other felt his shortcomings. One man was impressed with his own accomplishments. The other was depressed by his sin. One man boasted. The other man begged. One man recommended himself to God. The other man pleaded for God's mercy. One man was saved. The other man was lost. Which one do you think was saved? The tax collector. Because he came before the Lord broken, spiritually bankrupt. So get the principle again. You and I, friends, understand this. We are nothing without God. And the Bible says that heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. Why is that? Because when we are poor in spirit and we acknowledge that, that's where salvation begins, right? We realize there's nothing that we can do to inherit heaven. There's nothing that we can do to make heaven our home. We can't put out this big fancy resume. We must come to the Lord completely broken and poor in spirit and laid out before Him in total dependence upon Him and nothing else and say, Lord, forgive me a sinner. When we do that, the Bible says, the heaven belongs to you. Guys, you know what the starting point is for God's family? You, you know what the starting point is and the, the, I guess the, maybe the startling truth should be is that, that God loves rejects. Amen? Amen? I mean, those that are completely broken, that's God says, enter into my heaven, right? Because that's what it's going to take for us to repent of our sins. The spiritually bankrupt I believe those are the ones that God opens the heavens or the doors of heaven for and says, come right on in. You see, the world tells us a completely different story. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. But the world says this. The world says, blessed are the strong, for you will rule the earth. The world said, blessed are the mighty, for you will rise to power. The world says, blessed are the rich, for you will inherit the earth. The world says, blessed are the influential, for you will be favored. The world says, blessed are the popular, for you will be loved. The world says, blessed are the gifted, for you will be followed. The world said, blessed are the beautiful, for you will be admired. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen? Amen. So who are we listening to? Are we listening to the world or are we listening to Jesus? There's no mistake about it. There's no mistake about why this is the very first beatitude that he mentions. Blessed are the poor in spirit because that must come before any of these other beatitudes. This is the first and the fundamental quality of a spiritual life. We must realize that we are nothing without God. As a matter of fact, this is where discipleship, this is where true discipleship begins. When we realize that we are nothing without God. Hello? Let's say it together. We are nothing without God. So the question as the band comes this morning, do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? 
Do you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ? I believe we must all begin right here in living in Matthew 5 and verse number 3, living out a life that is poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt before God, broken and calling out to Him just like the tax collector did. He said, God, I can't even lift my eyes up to you. You're so holy and righteous and so good and you're God and I'm a sinful man. You want to live a blessed life? As Max Licato says, in the applause of heaven, you want the the applause from God on your life? Then that's where it begins. It simply begins by being spiritually bankrupt before the Lord. Utterly helpless, totally dependent upon God. We, my friends, all of us, we are nothing without God. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I don't know what your spiritual need is here this morning, but I want to try to help you in it. If you're here today and you need to trust Christ as your Savior, maybe the Holy Spirit's fingered around in your heart that right now you just simply need to repent and ask God to forgive you and come before the Lord like this tax collector. In just a moment, I want to help you with a prayer. But maybe you're here today and you're a believer and I look around, there's a lot of Christians in the house today. But are you living your life spiritually bankrupt? Are you living your life poor in spirit? And I realize whenever we fall before God and we realize there's nothing that we can do without Him, the blessings start to roll and, man, our spiritual reservoir starts getting filled up and God starts blessing us. I understand that. I'm not talking about God blessing us. I'm really talking about how, what is our attitude before Him. we got to realize that there's nothing that we can do to merit God's favor other than fall before Him realize that he gave his son to die on the cross for our sins and we stand before him broken and we're living our lives spiritually bankrupt, poor in spirit, totally dependent upon him and not ourselves. Are we living that way? Father, right now, I pray for this message today and the words that have been spoken and the Holy Spirit that's in our midst and I ask you, Lord, that you would continue, Lord, to speak to our hearts even now. And Father, there may be one here today, right now, sitting here, that is bowed before you with a broken heart, spiritually bankrupt, just like the tax collector was, that can't even lift their head to you, but simply crying out, God, forgive me. Father, I pray right now that that individual would be forgiven. I ask you, Lord, to help them to realize that your son paid their sin debt on the cross. That he was buried and he rose again victoriously the third day. And even now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father making intercession for us all. Father, I pray for that one that's calling out for salvation today. They would just simply pray and ask you to forgive them. They would repent of their sins and ask you to come into their heart and into their life. Help them, Lord, in that decision today. But Lord, maybe there's some of us that are here that that have been believers that have walked the walk for a long time. 
But we look around in our lives and we're not walking like we're poor in spirit. We're not living our life totally dependent upon you. God, I pray you convict us today. Help us, Lord, to surrender. Forgive us, Lord, of our of our dependence upon ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, of our lack of dependence on our brothers and sisters that we call our church family. And help us to be a body of believers that depends on each other, that really does need each other, that draws strength one from another, that's not living a life of privacy and completely holding back and never sharing anything personal about their struggles or their life. Just wanting everyone to see how self-righteous they are. God, I pray that your conviction power would fall and convict, convict of that type of an attitude. Help us to realize that we need each other. As those homeless people that we minister to in Juliet exhibited their dependence upon one another, Father, I ask you that you would help us to come before you broken and poor in spirit and acknowledge our dependence upon you and acknowledge our dependence upon one another. And you tell us in your word that we're to love you with our whole heart, mind, and spirit. And the second commandment is like the first. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And God, help us to care for one another. Father, have your way in this invitation song and help us, Lord, to do business with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.